Amen. That. I want to just uh, share something, uh, just kind of a, a really a, a revelation, especially for those who have teenagers. How many have teenagers? Let me see your hand. How many are brave enough to put your hand up right now? Nobody. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. How many teenagers are sitting by you? You have teens that are like sitting in your aisle right now. Okay. All right. I'm going to talk. You know, I had a revelation this morning. I really did. It was just amazing. Um, and, you know, kids really often wonder why parents uh, talk louder as we get older. Do you ever, you ever notice that? They're like, why? Well, you're getting old. Why? The reason we have to talk so loud is one word, AirPods. Do you ever do this? Hey, how was school today? Hey, how was, you know, and you get up there and you get loud and everything. You realize they have AirPods in, right? And they can't hear a word you're saying, right? And so we got to get real close. How was school today? You know, and they're like, well, you're getting old. You got to talk loud or something. No, you know, no, it gets called AirPods. So take the AirPods out, right? So I've had that understanding and realized, hey, I'm not getting older. They just aren't listening. So, so that makes me feel a little bit better about my age and, uh, and everything. But, you know, how many, come on, you have teens, you love them. And uh, communication is so important with them, right? And uh, anyways, that was just my revelation for today. And uh, something I understood is like, why am I talking louder? And like, as I get older and I realize, ah, the AirPods, AirPod, they can't hear me. They're not listening to what I'm saying, right? And everything. So they could be right there and you're talking to them. And, and, but you know what's funny is when their friend is like 100 feet away, they're like, hey. And they can hear them. It's amazing, like how they can pick up on those things. Uh, yeah, it's great. Really interesting. Anyways, you know, one of the things I love about church, and as I'm getting ready for church today, I realize that I really love about church is uh, my commitment to church is not a loyalty to a time frame. I'm not loyal to, you know, to a time frame on Sunday morning. I'm loyal to, to a bunch of people, a group of people what I call family, amen, and that's my loyalty today, is I'm, I want to be here because you're here, I don't want to be here because we're here together, amen, and how many know I need you and you need me, amen, and so sometimes people are like, well, I got to be there at church, you know, no, it's not to a time frame, it's that commitment to one another that's so important, amen, and so when we come to church, how many know, amen, some of us need encouraged, some of us need strengthened, some of us just need, a, a, you know, kind of a touch and, and really, uh, you know, um, and so I want to encourage you to be the church today. And, um, you know, just to really encourage somebody before you leave church today. I think that's so important. Um, I, I just, you know, had a really uh, different, it's a weird thing that a, a preacher goes through. You know, you, you kind of think about um, sermons that you preached. And, and I was kind of talking, uh, uh, preached recently about serving and the importance of servanthood. And as I was uh, going through my notes and the past notes, I realized that two years ago, this month, I preached a series called The Ministry of Service, and I preached on serving. Then I realized that I never finished that series. I never, there was like a couple pages of that, those notes and those couple points I never finished. And so I'm like, I'm going to do that today. All right. Anyway, so I thought about that, and it's just a weird thing for a preacher, but, uh, and, and I'm just letting you in on a little, you know, uh, secret there, uh, that how we think. We're like, you know what? I preached this three years ago. I think it'll work today. And no, and, uh, but we look back, and we're like, man, that was a good thing, and, you know, I just realized that as I preached a couple weeks ago on how Jesus chose towels over titles, talking about servanthood and how that he, uh, which I want to talk about in a couple weeks, how many know it's so important, isn't it? And serving is so, so important. In Philippians chapter 2, possibly one of my favorite uh, scriptures about Jesus that describes Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. Let's turn there this morning. Some of you are really familiar with that and probably have read it a bunch of times. We've 
heard, heard me read it a bunch of times. But in Philippians chapter 2, this is speaking about Jesus. And it just gives, gives us some insight on his character and who he was. And his, as the Bible makes it clear, his mentality as Jesus. Amen. As our Savior. In chapter 2, verse 5, it says this. Paul is exhorting the church. He said, let this mind or mentality be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Because of this, verse 9, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every other name. Can you say amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the, the word of the Lord today, the scriptures that are so precious, but yet they're so alive and they're living. And so, Lord, as we get into your word today, we, there's something that happens. Your word starts to get into us. It starts to change us. It starts to transform us. And, Lord, we become a little bit more like you and the way you desire us to walk in this, this life. And so we pray that you would just have your way today in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Jesus was the servant, and Jesus took upon himself the form of a servant. It just, uh, Jesus humbled himself just to come to the earth. He humbled himself. How many know he humbled himself to take on humanity, the form of humanity? How many know it was very humbling for him to do that? It was very humbling for him to go to the cross and suffer for our sins. And it was very humbling for him to, to allow people and humanity, humanity to beat him and, and to treat him that way. Amen. But the Bible says because he humbled himself, God has highly exalted him. Amen. Amen. Aren't you believe that? How many believe in the name of Jesus? That is, there's no other name. Amen. Given among men, whereby we must be saved. That is the greatest name. And Jesus is exalted to the highest level and degree that any being could ever be exalted to. Amen. And because of that, we worship him. But I love this, this scripture. And I want to get into this today because it reveals three attributes of Jesus. Number one, it, it really kind of shows his mentality. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Jesus. And it talks about his mission. And then it goes in and talks about his ministry. And, and how many know that it's all about being a servant? His mentality was a servant. His mission was about being a servant. And his ministry was all about being a servant. Jesus points to serving as the higher level of living. Now, our definition of higher level of living would be cars and houses and riches and investments and names and fame and, and lights and all those things. Come on, popularity. That's what we would consider the high level of living. But Jesus says that serving is the highest level of living in the kingdom. Amen. Luke 22 and verse 27, Jesus said and asked this question. He said, who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the master at the table, or the one who serves. The one who sits at the table is the greatest, but he said, I didn't come to be at sit at the table. I came to the one that serves. I'm the one who is serving, the one who is sitting at the table. Amen. And I love that mentality and spirit of Jesus. And I believe that if we're going to be a follower of Jesus, we've got to have on that same mentality. How many believe that? We've got to have the same ministry and the same mission of Jesus because we're not greater than our master. 
We're not greater than Jesus, amen? And what Paul makes it clear here as he's writing, he says that, and he's making it clear that the greatest position or title in the kingdom of God is a servant. That's the greatest, not a prophet or evangelist or a bishop over this and king this and that. It is a servant. That's one of the greatest titles that we, and how many know that is, that is the goal of every believer? That is the beginning and that is the end goal of every believer is to be a servant, Amen. And so, but we also know that pride is the enemy of serving. Pride is the enemy of serving. It, it destroys the spirit of a servant. It really does. It erodes serving in our lives. And we know that and, and we see that all through the scriptures. But, you know, with pride, we create a decision in our minds that wasn't there in Jesus' mind. Did you know that? When we have pride in our lives, we create a decision in our mind. This is it. How will I look? You know, that wasn't in the mind of Jesus, was it? That wasn't in the heart of Jesus. But we create that in our minds. We create that in our lives when we have pride. Why is it important that God, God wants us to be servants? Well, number one, it reflects Jesus. It develops Christ in you, as Paul talked about. It's the role of every disciple, every believer. How many believe that, right? Amen. It's God's pathway to love and maturity. This is just so amazing. And it's the development and the seedbed of leadership in our lives. Amen. A title doesn't make you a leader. Serving will open the door for leadership in our lives. Amen. I'm not going to talk about that today. But let me just go through three attributes of serving. We talked about, uh, well, let me give those to you. Number one is position. We talked a little bit about that um, two years ago, if you remember. Okay, we did. Okay, hope you remember. Right? So we talked about that. So position and our position in Christ, titles in the kingdom, and our function in the church, that's all that. And number two, what I want to talk about today is motivation. Motivation is uh, the love, the unity, and it's for the glory of God. This is the motivation for serving. And the third thing is impact, which is discipleship and leadership development. We'll talk about that some other time. But So it's position, motivation, and impact. This is the attributes of serving according to the scripture. And God calls all of this, all of us to this. Amen. Now, this has to do with our relationship with Jesus. This is where the core of our relationship with Jesus is all about serving Him. Amen. Worshiping Him, living for Him, obeying Him. How many know it's all about being a servant of Christ? Amen. But did you know that this goes right into relationships? This is all about marriage. If you want to have a good, strong, healthy marriage, you need to have a heart of a servant. If you have a heart of a servant, you're going to have a good, healthy marriage. Right? Okay. For all those who have a good, healthy marriage, say amen. All right. Amen. And what's this? I didn't, okay. I didn't know. Okay. Anyways, so motivation and, and this is what I think. But it works in marriage, serving in marriage and, and in our relationships. It affects every area of our lives. This is it. it. We can't get past it. It's not something we can take a shortcut and we say, well, I, I showed up at work night and so I'm a servant. No, that's not how it works. It's who we are. It's not just a title what we do. It's who we are. And that's just who we are. We're, we're servants. And I like what my dad used to say all the time about uh, some people in marriage. He says that some people uh, in marriage, they approach marriage like a tick on a dog. <laughs> you know, it, it gets a free ride, free meal. It's just there to take all, all that it wants. And it sucks up all the resources in life. And it's just there. It's kind of selfish, right? And, uh, but unfortunately, some marriages are like two ticks and no dog. I mean, no, that's going to be a problem, right? So I remember that. My dad used to say it all the time, and, and I've seen that. But also, this works with in, in kids and teenagers and, and with your parents' relationship. 
you know, you got to get to a place as a teenager that you stop thinking that the world revolves around you and you start giving back. Well, I'll wait till I'm 40. No, it's way too late. Come on, somebody. How many know you got way too many 40-year-olds trying to act like 14-year-olds because they didn't learn at 14 what they should have learned that would help them be successful at 40, right? Okay, let's move on here. Got to move on. Get past that one. All right. So, amen. So, because look, I mean, at some point as a teenager, you start teaching your kids, parents start teaching your kids that uh, it's about serving. Life isn't about taking. It's about giving. Hello? Jesus said, yeah, you can get, but it's better to give than it is to receive. And all the principles of the kingdom of you being blessed by God hinge on you giving and serving. Amen. And how many know we all want to be blessed by the Lord? We all uh, have quoted that, and I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord. All right? We all, we all love that. We all love that, right? But how many know it starts with you serving other people first? Amen. All right, so what's our motivation? Number one, our motivation is love. The motivation to serve is always love. Galatians 5.13 says, By love, serve one another. Because of love, out of love, for love, through love. Amen. Serve one another. It never says anything, wait until you feel love to serve one another. It says, by love or because of love. What does that mean? Because you are loved by God, you must love other people. In fact, he goes further and he says, just like Christ loved you and gave himself for you, so you ought to love other people. Amen. How many know that's big? That's huge, right? That's huge. That's going to take a lifetime. So by love, we serve one another. Love has to be the motivation of serving. If love isn't the motivation of serving, then you're just going to have uh, really self-righteous works that point to you and not to God. And so we want love to be the motivation why we serve. Why do we, uh, you know, serve the poor and serve and help those that don't have anything and that are sick and everything? Why? Because it's the love of God that compels us. Come on. It's the compassion of God. Why do we come to church and we really want to meet somebody else's need and yet we have a need, but our heart is really to meet somebody else's need? That's love. That's the motivation of love. Come on. Amen? Come on, how many times too many people are going to church to get their praise on and, and I just need to feel better about my situation and I hope he preaches a message that means, you know, makes some, means something to my life and, uh, you know, I can really, you know, come on, how many know it's not about that? It's about the motivation is to love. And so the love of God compels us, as Paul said. And Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, we are bound by love. Did you know that? We're in a contract of love. This is a covenant of love. We are bound by love. We are a bondservant from the heart. Amen. Why? Because we love him because he what? First loved us. And so we're bound by love. Serving others really develops a love for other people. The more you serve people, the more you will love other people. Have you ever sat around and thought to yourself, I really don't like people that much? Maybe you should serve more. Maybe you should go and work at a soup kitchen or go and hand out clothes or do something or look at the needs in your family and, and maybe serve. Up your game a little bit at home. Step up. Get off the couch. Serve a little bit more. And then all of a sudden there's going to be some love there. Come on, right? Let me just give you three things that are important about serving in love. Number one, uh, a love for God is the motivation for serving. So we love God and we have that motivation. Number two, a love for others fuels our faith towards God. Did you know that? 
when you want strong faith and you start serving others and loving others, there's something about your faith gets stronger. When you go to pray for somebody else's need, when you really take on that burden of somebody else, your faith gets stronger. Hello? Amen. Your faith gets stronger. And number three, serving others produces the fruit of love in our lives. It proves that we do love people and it produces something. You can see it. You don't have to try to put it on or fake it or go around putting on your post. I love people. I really do. Watch me. No, you don't even have to do that. Everybody knows because that's fruit. How many know what I'm talking about? Everybody can see it. Everybody knows about it. Nobody has to lie at your funeral, funeral your birthday party about you. Uh, he kind of is a nice guy. Lord, forgive me for lying, right? No, they just see that fruit of love in your life. It's just a, a love, and that's the fruit. Amen. And so, again, it's not the feeling, but it is of love. It is the action of love that people see. And you have to remember something about the motivation of love. Remember this, that if we don't show other people that we love them, or we don't show others love, the Bible makes it clear it proves we really don't love God. Amen. First John chapter 4, I love this. Uh, John is actually, uh, just this letter that he's writing, three letters that he writes are just so amazing on the, the, the topic of, of love and the love of God. He says this in verse uh, 7 and 8 of chapter 4. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Verse 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother who he can see cannot say he loves God who he can't see. Right? That's what the Bible says. And so really our purpose, our call, our destiny, our ministry in the Lord is all supported by serving. It's all about serving, Right? You said, well, God's gonna, I'm going to have this awesome ministry. God's going to get me there. Well, how are you going to get there? You're going to get there by serving. Amen? No, I'm going to get there by prophesying and preaching. No, you're going to get there by serving, by loving, and that motivation of love. The more you love people, the more God graces you with gifts. Did you know that? The gifts of the Spirit are for those who really have a heart of compassion. Amen. For other people. And, and I believe that in order for a body to be healthy, obviously it has to function the way it was designed. Is that correct? Right? It's got to function the way it was designed. Well, that's the church. In order for a church to be healthy, we've got to function in the way that it was designed. And it was designed to love one another by serving. Show each other that you love each other by serving one another. Amen? No, I just need, no, I need other people to serve me. No, I need people to meet my need. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, I didn't come to be ministered to. I came to minister. I came to give. I came to give my life as a ransom for people. I don't come to church like, what can I get? I come, what can I give? And the first half of the service is about giving to God what he deserves. Right? And then after church is about giving to other people who need it, right? All right, it is. So motivation is love. And then really the final thing I want to say about this is that there's such a, an important principle in the Bible, and especially when it comes to serving and loving other people, and that is you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. How many know the Lord sees when you serve other people? The Lord knows, and he sees. You don't have to post it. You don't have to tell people. You don't have to get up and, and say in a life group, you know, I served twice this week and nobody's ever served me. Okay, you don't have to do that. You don't have to put on a little board and put it on your phone, hey, I served uh, 300 times this year, so 
I think I need a little bit of a blessing from the Lord on that one. No, you just are a servant. That's what you do. That's who you are. So whether you get back, whether people recognize you, whether people put your name in a brochure, whether we say your name at church, whether we, come on, whether you're recognized, it doesn't matter because that's who you are. That's just what you do. Amen. And how many know the blessings that come from the Lord, from what we give, are way better than anybody could give us. Way better. Way better. What God can give you from, 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 from his blessings, is has nobody can put anything to it. I mean, they just can't match it. Amen. How many believe that? So you reap what you sow. So love is the first motivation. The second motivation is unity. Unity is the goal in our church. You, did you know that? Not connect groups. That's not the goal, to have the best connect groups, the biggest, the coolest, whatever. And this, this year, I'm looking forward to, I'm just putting it out there. If you're cooking and you're barbecuing, I'm coming to your house, and I'm expecting some really good food. That's great, but that's not the motivation. The motivation is unity. How many believe that? The motivation is unity. Today, when we gather together, the motivation is not getting my praise on, having the best this, the biggest that, all the you know, lights and camera. No, it, the motivation is unity. That's when we come together, that's on Sunday morning. That's what it's about. Hello. Unity means that you go your way and other people go your way, their way, and you don't ever talk to each other. That's not unity. Right? That's segregation. That's, that's, that's not unity. That's just doing our own thing, individualism. That's not what God called us to do. Unity in the church, that's all of our goals. Well, that, you're the pastor. You need to be concerned about that. No, we're Christians. We all need to be concerned about that. Amen? Amen. And so that's what unity is the goal. In Ephesians chapter 4, um, one of the things I love about this um, teaching here in Paul, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. Just turn and click there. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, he kind of opens up this letter and he says this. He says, strive, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Or through the peace that ties you together, do your best to maintain the unity that the spirit gives. Being diligent to keep or persevere or protect or guard or preserve, sorry, or protect and to guard the, the unity. You have to preserve it. We've got to protect it. We've got to guard it. You've got to be diligent about this as, as Christians. You can't just think that, you know what, it doesn't matter how I feel, how I talk about other people, whether I care about them or not. I just go to church with a bunch of people that go to the same church. No, unity is the goal. Unity has to be something we strive for. and we, This is the motivation of serving one another. Come on. Amen. That we have unity. Produced by the Spirit. This is something the Holy Spirit does in our hearts, among us. It's just like, that's why Jesus said in John, he said, when people will know that you're my disciples, if they, if they, when they see the love that you have for each other. Amen? Right? Amen. And so consisting of and leading to the bond of peace. And so we have to strive. And then in verse 13, well, in between those, those verses, he's talking about that he uh, has given titles and offices and leadership roles in the church so that we can uh, equip the church, right? Equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Why is that important? Why is it important? To build a ministry? No, that's not why it's important. Or to have a good church? No, it, this is why. Until we all, verse 13, until we all reach, attain, come into the unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God. 
How many know that's the goal? Unity is the goal. That's the end game. This is what he's saying. And so in verse 13, and other translations, I like this. It says, so this is, this is to continue until all of us are united in our faith, in our knowledge of God's Son, until we become mature, until we measure up to Christ, who is the standard. Other translation says this, until, we finally, uh, until finally we all believe alike about our salvation and about our Savior, God's Son. And all become full grown in the Lord, yes, to the point of being filled full with Christ. Amen. It's each individual working for the whole together so that the whole can come together. That's unity. Amen. Each person doing their part. Amen. And we're just, you know, of course, we're really familiar right now with sports and high school sports. And we're just ending the track season, right? Okay, so in sports and some other ones, uh, baseball, softball, they're kind of right in there. And the track season, you know, one of the things that uh, about a, a, a track meet is the end, the last race usually, normally, is a relay race. And it's like when everybody gets, you know, is focused on that race and that's that relay race. And, and it's usually the most exciting, most intense. And I think maybe because everybody's so tired, they want to go home. But anyways, no, it's just it's so exciting because the fastest people on teams and, and it's, man, it's that relay. You got to hand off that baton. And I mean, these guys are cruising around. These girls are cruising around the track. It's, it's really exciting, you know. Believe me, it's exciting. You can YouTube it. Anyways, let me give you an example of a relay race. That's kind of what I was thinking about today is serving. Uh, and yesterday as I was at a track meet, I thought this is kind of the, the, really the principles of serving in here. Why? Because it's not just the handing baton, da-da-da. Here's what it is. People are depending on you. People are depending on you to do your part, to run your race the best you can. A relay race is one of the few sports that you can and say, well, I don't care. How many know? If you don't care in a race, everybody loses. It hurts everybody. You know, there's some sports that you like, I don't care. I don't need to work out that much. I don't really care. Really only hurts yourself, right? Makes you look bad, right? But this is, relay is one of those things where when you don't do your best, and if you don't care, then the team loses. It really is not good for the whole team. But how many know if you win, there's a good possibility the team can win. And if the team wins, that means you win. And guess what? At the podium, everybody gets the ribbon. The whole team gets the ribbon, and the whole team can advance to the next stage. They get recognized, not as individuals, but as a team. Everybody has to do their part. So that means everybody's depending on you. How many know that's the same as serving? In the church, it's not about just one person doing all the work. We're all depending on each other. I'm depending on you. You're depending on me. Come on, we're depending on each other to do our part. I don't feel like it. I just want to go to church and hear the word and go to work. No. Well, that's the thing. You just don't care. You're not putting an effort into it. And so guess what's going to happen? It's going to affect the whole body. Amen? How many believe that? Your attitude and your behavior, not working at it, not trying to really come to the place where you love others. and you're, Come on, that, that's going to hurt the body. Amen? Amen? And so serving really is about depending on each other. And let me just uh, go through this quickly, that the lack of serving brings a few things. I just thought about this and scribbled this down. That the lack of serving brings this, right? Number one. When there's a lack of serving, especially in a church, especially when we see it in a, a body of believers, number one, there's competition. When you don't serve, you want to compete. You compare, 
you compete, there's jealousy, there's, there's uh, uh, gossip, there's all kinds of slander, there's backbiting because you uh, aren't serving one another. <laughs> when you want a title and that's all you're about and you just think that you want to be better than everybody else in the church and be recognized, how many know there's going to be competition? So competition is the one when there's a lack of serving. This happens in a marriage. In a relationship where there's no serving going on, nobody wants to serve, all you're going to do is compete. And you're just going to be at each other's throat, competing, competing, competing. Amen. So it creates insecurities, inferiority complexes it, it, in the church. People don't know who they are. They don't know how to act. And then it brings us to a second point, the serving, really, of lack of serving. It brings a dysfunction. It simply means that things are out of order and to the extreme, right? How many know a church that isn't focused on serving one another and just want to be better than everybody else and have a title over everybody else, everybody's jockeying for position, there's going to be a dysfunctional church there. That's going to be an unhealthy body because it's not working as it's designed to work. It's, it's working out of order. How many know if, you're, if your brakes are gone, how many know it's like you're, you're not good luck with that going down the hill, right? They're designed to work to stop at a stop sign so you can be safe. So as the body of Christ, if we don't serve one another, we're going to have dysfunction. There's going to be brokenness. And it's going to be a church full of what I call gifted losers. Come on, that's, just, that's a dysfunctional church. And you can look good and you can have all the programs and do everything, but if it's not about serving one another in love, if it's not about uh, you know, serving each other and serving the community with the gospel and the poor and things like that, having a servant's heart, how many know that's going to be a dysfunctional place? It's going to be an unhealthy, a toxic place probably eventually. And then the third thing is when it comes to the body of Christ not serving and the lack of serving, it brings up paralysis. So what does that mean? There's a lack of movement, there's a lack of fruit, and there's a lack of impact. Amen. How many know you can be spiritual and not effective? You can be loud and not really say anything. Right? And so there's a lot of churches that the Bible says, where do we get this teaching? 1 Corinthians 13. You can have all the gifts, all the knowledge, all the dreams, all the visions, all the talent, all the humanitarian works, all the good things. And if you don't have love, you are nothing. Just a noise, right? So let's talk real quick and finish up with this point, and that is competition, right? So it brings competition. When we don't have a, a, a servant's heart, it brings competition. Let me just give you a scripture and verse for this in Matthew chapter 20. And in Luke chapter 22, we see Jesus giving the principles about serving because they're arguing about the best position and the best person. What's the best position and who's the best person? Jesus, who do you love more? Who do you love the best? Right? So this is what they're talking about. And I, I believe that this still is going on today in the church. And that's why we are here today talking about this. But let's look in Matthew 20 quickly. I know the hour is getting on here, but in Matthew chapter 20, I'm going to read out of the living just a couple of verses. So in, in Matthew 20, Jesus is doing miracles and he's teaching and uh, coming towards the, we would say, the kind of the, the end of his ministry, towards the end of his ministry, um, and something happens. The Bible says in verse 20, that then the mother of James and John, they were the sons of Zebedee, that was their dad, their mom came to Jesus and brought them to Jesus and respectfully asked a favor. Jesus said, what is your request? She said, in your kingdom, will you let my two sons sit on the two thrones next to yours? One on the left, one on the right. And Jesus was like, what is this, the Game of Thrones? No, I'm just kidding. Um, that's 
probably the first place that video games are mentioned in the Bible. But he, and, and so she, can they sit on two thrones? One on the left, one on the right. That's what they mean, to rule in your kingdom. In verse 22, cheesy joke, please edit that out. And then Jesus told her, I don't know what you are asking. Then he turned to James and John and asked them, are you able to drink from the, the terrible cup I am about to drink from? They said, yes, we are. We can do it. Man, talk about arrogance, right? And stupidity. I mean, God is, uh, Jesus is really setting them up here. Can you drink? Are you able to drink from the cup? That yeah. Oh, yeah, we are. We sure are. Yeah. Verse 23. Okay, you shall indeed drink from it, he told them, but I have no right to say who will sit on the thrones next to mine. Those places are reserved from the persons my father selects. Verse 24. The other ten disciples were indignant. They started fighting. And when they heard that James and John had asked for it, they were it was first his mother, and then they were like, okay, we don't care. It was you guys. And then verse 25, but Jesus called them together and he said, among the heathen, kings are tyrants and each minor official lords over, over those beneath them. That's the way the system works in the world. But among you, it's quite different. Anyone wanting to be a leader among you must be your servant. If you want to be right at the top, you must serve like a slave. Your attitude must be like mine, for I, the Messiah, do not, did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Wow, isn't that powerful? So we, real quick, I want to point out a couple things about this, this competition that started brewing between the disciples. First of all, you look at James and John, their mama boys. So their moms come to them and it's like, okay, uh, Lord, I just wanted to ask a favor of you for my kids. Now we're talking like this is in front of the other disciples, right? She pulls them out and singles them out. And she's like, okay, so that's great. You're doing miracles. But I have a, a request. I want my sons to sit on the left hand and the right hand. And all the other disciples are like, what would you just say? They probably, you know, perked up their ears a little bit. And so here, here these mama boys are. And they're like, yeah, yeah. So mom, okay, ask them. You ask Jesus for it. So that would be awesome, right? Yeah, just go ahead. I'm pretty sure this is a good time. Nobody's getting healed. This is a great time. we got some downtime. Ask Jesus about it. And so, uh, um, but you have to understand, James and John were part of Jesus' inner circle. Every time you read when Jesus, uh, you know, where the disciples were here and then he went away to pray, right? Who did he take with him? Peter, James, and John. Right? They were part of that inner circle in the garden, on the boat, wherever, up on the mountain. They were there. They were part of that inner circle. And so their mom felt like they were entitled. So they were part of the inner circle. They, Jesus loves them a little bit more than everybody else. So they're entitled, right? So, I mean, they're part of the ministry. They're like right there. They deserve a huge promotion. They deserve, so this entitlement and this, this false affirmation coming from this dysfunctional mom, right? How many know parents get caught in that trap, right? Just this entitlement and this false affirmation of their kids. You deserve, you don't have to be like everybody else. Don't work hard, don't do this, don't serve. We're just gonna just throw money at you and, and everything's gonna work. And if, and if your boss doesn't like it, I'm just gonna go do your work. And I'm gonna give him a piece of my mind because even though you're 35 and you live in our basement, you should be a manager, right? All right, that's what she's saying. This is what it's like. So these guys are like, you know, 30, living in their mom's basement. She comes in, they deserve better. And you know something? Jesus said this. He, he specifically asked, who's going to sit on the left and on the right? I mean, you got to think about this for a moment. This, this is like talking about in heaven, you know, like, like they're, they're, they're above King David. They're putting themselves above King David and Abraham, for goodness sakes. I mean, how arrogant is this, right? They haven't learned to serve yet, but they're going to learn. 
So all of a sudden, what does Jesus say? Jesus said this. It's a message I haven't preached yet called the third baptism. Jesus said, are you willing to, to handle this baptism I'm getting ready to be baptized with? It's what I call the third baptism. How many know there's a baptism in water? There's a baptism in the spirit, but there's a baptism in suffering. Right? Is that right? It's called the third baptism. So right away they jumped, right from baptism in water, and we're, right, okay, even before the Holy Ghost, man, baptism, it's like, okay, baptism is suffering. Is that what you guys want? Can you do that? Yeah, okay, great. That's what you're going to get. So all of a sudden, I mean, it's like instead of this entitlement and this, like, position, all of a sudden Jesus hands him down this martyr's death sentence. Right? Why? Because the reward of pride is always suffering. The reward of pride is always suffering. Jesus said, okay, you want to sit on my left and on my right? First of all, he asked him that question, like, can you do that? Yeah, I can do that. We can do that. Jesus knew he couldn't give that position away. But he didn't say that first. You notice that? Jesus said, that's not mine to give. Then he'd be like, oh, we don't want it then. No. He, what he said was, you still want it? Yeah, we want it. Okay, now you're going to get the martyr. You're going to get martyrdom. You're going to suffer. And your pride costs you a lot here. Oh, and by the way... I can't give that out anyways. So your mom really costs you a lot here. So gee whiz, thanks mom. And then, you know, I'm sure they didn't hear from her for a while. Anyways, amen. But look in Luke chapter 22. Look in Luke 22. This is the Passover meal. At the Passover meal, I mean, after Jesus said, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die. This is my body. This is my blood. And all this stuff. It was, just, and then, guess what they said? The disciples started arguing amongst themselves who was going to be the greatest. This is the Last Supper, folks. This, okay, wait. Jesus, first of all, this is the Last Supper. The last time you're going to have a meal with Jesus before he suffers and dies. And you're like asking, okay, who's going to be greatest? Suffering? That's great. Jesus, you know, the whole blood, great, water. That's great. But let's, we got a question for you. Who's, and they start arguing amongst themselves about who's going to be at the Last Supper for crying out loud. I mean, why couldn't they wait till later in the garden? Why couldn't they wait until like they were on the, the donkey ride or something? Why couldn't they just wait a little bit? Such bad timing. Why? Because that's just pride. And they were arrogant. And they were just, uh, you know, at the Last Supper. And they were saying, who's the best? Okay, Jesus, who's the best? I'm the best, you know? Whatever. I know I'm the best. I, I, the Lord told me I was the best, you know? I mean, he patted me on the shoulder three times. Three times. You, one time. So I know I'm better than you, right? So they're going on and saying, think about this. And then also, check this out. If you think about this, not only would Jesus tell him how he's going to suffer, not only was it such bad timing, the last supper of Jesus, but then Jesus goes ahead and said, there's a mole among you. How bad does it make someone look if Jesus said, there's someone among you that's a mole? There's a mole here. There's, there's somebody in here that's going to trade me in. And then all of a sudden you're like, I'm better than Jesus. So that kind of sounds like a conspiracy theory all of a sudden. Like, if Jesus was out of the way, I could be best. Right? Who would bring this up? I mean, it just totally doesn't make sense, right? I mean, Jesus has said there's a mole, and then you're asking... How can we get, you know, how can I be better than, how can I do this thing? I mean, it sounds like you really want to take over, right? So that's what pride does. Pride puts you in that place of suffering. Pride puts you in that place of stupidity. Pride and competition puts you in that place on the outside looking in. Amen. And you can't hear the Lord. But notice this in two both instances. Jesus repeated the same principle. And then this also happened. Notice this. Everything was fine until they brought this up. The moment they started talking about who was the best, fighting broke out. 
That's when they started fighting. That's when they started arguing. And how many know the Lord does not want arguing? It doesn't like this. Paul warned over and over again, stop fighting amongst yourself. Live at peace among yourself. Strive to live at peace. Amen, among yourself. This created contention and competition. This question, who is the best? Who is going to have the best position? I'm telling you, in the church, competition erodes unity. It destroys love. You can't say that we have love if we have a bunch of competition going on. Amen, right? So that's why as a church, see, we can't destroy our service to God by comparing ourselves to other people. Competition reveals our weakness. It's a weakness in the body of Christ, and it's an insecurity in us. Amen. That's what competition does, and I need to move on. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with someone else who commend themselves or those who among us when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves they're not wise and why do we struggle with that because it goes against our sinful nature we, we struggle with serving because it goes against our nature for self-preservation our nature of idolatry our nature of wanting and taking come on how I many know sin nature takes doesn't give it takes what in it for me what can I get for me this is the battleground right here Amen. And so serving, not only, it doesn't destroy your spirit, it only destroys your flesh. Did you notice that? When you serve other people, it actually adds to your faith. It actually uh, emboldens your spirit, man. It only destroys your flesh, your lower nature that does not want to serve, but wants to be served, and wants that best seat in the house, and wants that first place in line, and wants all those things. Come on, somebody. Jesus said, I wasn't like that. I came as the opposite, the one who took the, the worst seat, the last place in line. I'm the one that humbled myself. Amen in that. How many know that? Why? Because all of us need value. All of us need approval. All of us need affirmation. But the point of the scriptures that teaches us is that we have to give it away first. In order to get that value, in order to get that affirmation, in order to get that, that uh, 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 approval from, from others, we've got to give it away first. That's the whole point of serving. And competition is a form of a judgmental spirit, a critical spirit. And when you get that in a church, it's like a really bad root. It's hard to get out. And it defiles many and, and hurts many people. Amen. And so all these things, who serves more, who's a better gift, who shines the brightest, this is not the spirit of Jesus. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm going to finish up here. The spirit of Jesus is about love and unity. And all that Jesus was concerned about, one of the, not all, but one of the things he was concerned about is that the disciples loved each other after he was gone. You have to stay together. This isn't, you're just handpicked because you're a group of guys that had all these talents and abilities. And no, 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 no. You have to be the apostles. You've got to, you've got to stay together to form the church. Come on. To hold this thing together. And the Bible says that they were, the whole, the whole scriptures and all that we believe in was built on the apostles and the prophets. So Jesus said, you've got to get it together because, amen, the future, amen, depends on it. I like what Paul said. He said, act, have the mentality as if you're employed by other people, by one another. Amen. Think about that. I always love that principle in marriage. And, and the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 24, in response to all that God has done for us, let us outdo each other in being helpful and kind to each other in doing good. That's our goal. 
Our goal is not to rule over others and have the best title and be recognized and have all these things. Our goal is love. Our motivation is love. Our motivation is unity. How many believe that? Amen. And let me give you the third one as you stand on your feet. Amen. Just going to give you that third one, motivation for serving. Amen. Our, our really just the third motivation, I could probably give more, but the third motivation that I really felt to give was not just for love. Love needs to, that needs to be our motivating factor. How many believe that? Let me see your hand. You believe that. How many believe unity needs to be the motivation, that we strive to keep the unity and build the unity amongst ourselves? So many people get hurt and wounded by just something small that happens in a church. And the next thing you know, they're like, I'm out of here. I'm gone. Like, I don't need this church. I don't want these. I don't, these people are all losers. I don't like these people. I got hurt by them and everything. And they don't see the bigger picture. They don't see that we're a family, and families uh, uh, are messy, and families are complicated. Come on. And families work at unity. They love each other, not because they're perfect, not because they have agree on everything, but because they're family, because there's unity there. And may we have that mentality. But a third motivation is this, and that is for Jesus. That sounds simple, doesn't it? How many of you know that we serve other people because of Jesus? I'm just doing it for Jesus. Why? Because Jesus did it. Because he was a servant. Because he came and he preferred towels over titles. He's the one that wanted relationship over, over position. He's the one that, that really called my name because he was a servant. And this is how the Lord said he was exalted because he humbled himself. And I'm going to do it for him. Someone said, I, I just want to do things for Jesus. I want, to, I want a ministry. I want to do it for God. I want to do it for Jesus. Well, just, just come to the church and serve and just do this and do that. Well, I can't do that. I, I'm called for great things, you know. No, we do it for Jesus right here. We do it for the Lord. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul said, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I'd be a servant of people. But how many know we're called to be a servant of Christ? We are a servant of Christ. Because of that, we're doing it for him. It's for his glory. It's for his recognition. The Bible says, let your light so shine before other people that what? People see you? No. They glorify your Father in heaven. Somehow, what you do in your life, people can look past you, who you are, your name, what you do, whatever, everything, and they see Jesus. Right? That's what we want. We know. And how many know the reward is either from people now or from God later? Jesus said, you know, those who go in the marketplace and brag about fasting and give their alms in front of everybody and post it on social media and, and, and take selfies with homeless people they just gave a quarter to, you know, all those people, they have reward. It's right here. It's now. That's it. That's all they got. But you have reward in heaven, and it's waiting for you, and you're making a storage in heaven. When you do your, these good works before God, when nobody else sees it, when it's just who you are, you're laying up treasures. You're putting into an account in heaven that someday, the Bible says you'll receive a reward and I don't know about you but that's I want a reward from the Lord it's for him I do it for him I'm not doing it for other people I'm not doing it because look it makes me look better as a pastor if I just kind of show everybody I can sweep with a broom no it's because it's the heart of Jesus it's for the love of other people it's for the unity of the church right and it's for him it's for his glory that people can look and say wow that's what Jesus did 
That's what Jesus did. See, the wrong, the wrong attitude that so many of us have today in America is that Jesus exists to serve me. That he exists to serve me. He died on the cross to serve me. But how many know he died on the cross so that I can serve him? I wasn't able to serve him, and the only way I could serve him is because he died on the cross. And because I can serve him, I can serve other people. Amen? Amen. And I believe that. I, I just really thought about this and asked myself, how many Christians view our actions as something that we owe to God for what he has done? Do you ever think about how much we owe God? Do we owe God? Do we, do we have this sense that, that, that um, the grace of God is something that we deserve or there's something we can never pay back? But we owe our lives to the Lord because of it. How many look at the Lord like that? I do. I, I have such a debt to God. Many Christians are just looking at it like, well, he should forgive me. And he owes me grace. And I'm entitled to uh, blessings from the Lord because I just quoted something. No, 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 no. We live our lives as a debt to such grace, to such love, to such mercy that we will spend a life, no, eternity, eternity paying it forward to the Lord, paying it back to the Lord, paying it to other people here on earth, saying, servants, so Lord, because of what you've done for me, I can never, ever stop repaying you by loving other people, by serving other people, by laying my life down. That's the least I can do, as Romans chapter 12 says. Amen? We tend to be short with the Lord. We tend to be impatient with God. We tend to demand of the Lord. Heal me now. If you don't heal me, I'm gone. If you don't do this for me, if I don't get my breakthrough, I'm out of here. I'm just, I'm just going to go drink. I'm just going to do my thing. I'm just going I'm to get all pierced and rebel, and that's what I'm going to do. I just talked to a person this week. That's exactly what they did. They're short with the Lord. They're impatient with the church, demanding of other people. And then they expect the Lord to do the opposite for them. They expect the Lord to be patient with them, long-suffering, full of grace and full of understanding. And yet they're short with the Lord. They're demanding of God. They're impatient with this. Come on. But how many know when we look at what Jesus did for us, Lord, no, you can take as long as you want to get me through this. You can take as long as you want to bless me. I don't have to drive an Escalade. I don't, I'm just going to bless other people. Come on, somebody. Amen. I got I to gotta end this. But nobody can bless us like Jesus. Nobody. nobody can bless us like Jesus. That's what I live for. I live for him. I don't live for the things that he gives me. I live to bless him because he blesses me. Amen. As I obey, as I walk with him, as I just love other people and work for unity. And I do it for him. Amen. So the, today, I, I just want to say, there's going to be t so many opportunities to serve. Let's be like Jesus. Amen. Let's be like Jesus and who just thought nothing to serve and lay down his life and just give to other people. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. Let's just be the servants we're called to be. Lord, we just thank you so much, Lord, how that you just love us so much. It's just overwhelming. If we just took five minutes, it would blow our mind of how much you've just, your grace has been sufficient, your mercy, your kindness, your long-suffering over and over and over again. You didn't come to serve, uh, to be served, that other people would give to you and take from this and do that and demand this. Lord, you came and you just gave. 
and you just served. Lord, that's the kind of person I'm called to be. That's who I want to be today. And I thank you for that, Lord. You're empowering me through the Holy Spirit, teaching me to do that. Lord, giving me opportunity all the time in my relationships and marriage and my kids and a job and everything. Lord, you're just all the time you give me opportunities to be more like you. And I pray, Lord, that as we serve one another in this church, that people will see and know that you're real, that you love them, that you call them to salvation, that you will draw them because of our love for one another. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a hand today? Thank God for his mercy, his grace.